You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Genesis 3 verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, giving us your word. We thank you, Father, for Genesis, a book of foundations. Father, as we look to the foundation, Father, we pray that you would teach us and uh, lead us and uh, open your word to our hearts and open our hearts, O Father, to your word. We call on you, Lord, and we We can do no other without your grace, Father. So we ask for your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the painful effects or ramifications, if you will, of the fall. And we have seen really basically four things. Back in verse 16, we saw the effects of the fall on women and we saw that, um, of course, a child uh, giving birth to children uh, as a result of the fall will be something that becomes intensely painful. Uh, but we also took it a step further and we saw that raising children, child rearing, also will have seasons of pain uh, for the father for sure. Uh, but I think we can easily identify a certain pain that belongs to mom in this. And uh, uh, we see that there's, uh, uh, there's certainly a, a lot of empirical truth to that uh, as we go through the process. Uh, secondly, we saw that marriage relations will be affected very deeply. Uh, as a result of the fall, it will be a temptation, a varying temptation. It varies from personality to personality and constitution to constitution. But there'll be a desire and a temptation on, uh, on women, on, on the wife to want to rule over her husband. And um, there will also be a, a temptation, varying of course, not everyone is equally guilty of it, but there'll be a temptation and a desire of the husband to want to dominate his wife. Uh, we could talk about marriage relations and how they're affected by the fall all day, uh, but there are two, uh, two uh, things that we focused on a couple of weeks ago. Last time, we saw that men will be affected very deeply by the fall, namely uh, that work will become hard and frustrated. And uh, all of us who have jobs in the workplace can go, yeah, (laughs) amen. Um, And of course, there's overlap um, because uh, ladies, some of you have jobs in the workplace and guess what? Uh, Work is hard and it can become frustrated. And uh, to both men and women, we saw that the end will be death uh, uh, until uh, dust we shall return. Um, what an introduction, huh? <laughs> this is a terrible introduction, isn't it? Man, you know. Um, is there any grace? Well, yeah. As we've seen each step of these ways, you know, I've asked the question, is there any grace here? And we see that there's always grace couched in all of it. In the worst of news in the Bible, there's always grace 
couched in there, isn't there? And this morning, the, the message uh, is that, you know, in fact, the title of the message is the gospel in Genesis 3 and verse 20. Uh, did you know the gospel is in Genesis 3, 20? Um, and I've bounced that off a couple of people and I've seen them like, yeah, yeah, I know it's there. Well, you know it's there because you know it's everywhere, you know. But exactly how is the gospel present in verse 20? I can't wait to show you that. It's going to take me a little while to get there because there's another point that I want to bring out in this text. I don't think that we really should preach this text without bringing this point out. And it's going to take a little while to bring that point home. And because it's going to take a lot longer to bring that point home, it may seem like that's the main point. It's not the main point. The main point this morning is the gospel. It won't take me very long to show you the gospel in Genesis 3.20. So I ask that you bear with me as we begin to look at this, really this secondary point that I want to make. But I want to spend time on that secondary point because I want to take that point and I want to couch it. I want to place it. Uh, right in the context of the gospel itself. Does that sound clear as mud? Clear as mud? Okay. All right. With this in mind, let's look at verse 20. Perhaps the first thing we may notice about verse 20, and I didn't read the entire context this morning, but we're very familiar with it. And I think maybe you've had this experience in reading Genesis 3 that you're reading along and, and, and the Bible's full of gripping narratives, isn't it? I mean, some of the stories and the way they're written in the Bible just leave you like right on the edge of your seat as you read them. And Genesis 3, verses 1 to 19, I, I, the, the verses just seem to flow very naturally. And then you get to verse 20 and you read, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Perhaps you've had the experience of coming to verse 20 and like it's almost like you, you, you stumble and you're like, wow, that verse just doesn't seem to fit. Um, I don't know if you've had that experience or not. A lot of you are smarter than I. You might have just caught it right away. But to me, it's, it, you know, it just doesn't, it seems, it seems like out of place. And a number of years ago, James Boyce commented on this. And, and he said, basically, when we feel as though a verse seems to be out of place, then we need to re-examine our understanding of the verse, <laughs> And that's exactly what I want to do is re-examine our understanding of, of this verse. And I think as we do this, we're going to be amazed by how much is actually here in this, in this short verse. In the ESV, uh, the translation that I've just read, we read, and the man. Verse 20 begins, and the man. The Hebrew reads kind of weird. It reads, it reads and the Adam. You know, and... Um, our, our, our editor in the room just gave me a facial expression that I was kind of expecting. <laughs> She's wanting to correct that. <laughs> Weren't you? <laughs> yes. But literally it reads, and the Adam. Um, that's, that's how it reads. And the word Adam, it can be translated as man, mankind, uh, human race. And of course, um, it can be referring to a person, namely the first man who was ever created, who we call Adam uh, and the Adam. Now, over the last couple of weeks, I've been teaching and preaching about a sharply controversial subject, um, the subject of the roles of men and women in the family. There's not too many subjects that a preacher can touch on and generate more heat than this one. This one is hot as it gets and uh, maybe not quite as hot as it gets, but it's it's got a lot of heat to it. And that's that's the idea of the role of the husband and the role of the wife in the context 
of the family. And the position that I've been advocating for in theology, the formal name for it is complementarianism. You don't need to remember that, but you may encounter that in your reading sometime or someday, and you might get to that word and say, oh, yeah, I know that word. I heard that word before. And that's the only reason I mention it, um, is that um, this is the... this is. This is the the position that I've been arguing for. When we turn to the pages of Scripture, we find a sharp distinction between men and women. A very sharp distinction. And both are created in the image of God, for sure. Both are created with an equal status, uh, but each share a different role. Uh, We each share a different role. There's roles that are unique to the woman. There are roles that are unique uh, to the man, uh, listen, they're both beautiful. That's a, one of the points I really want to leave you with. If you walk out the store this morning, you say, you know what? Okay, men and women are different. Not only is it okay, it's actually beautiful. Because there's this wonderful complementary that God has designed into male and female. They're, they're both beautiful, but they're both different. They're both different. Now, I've made mention several times that Eve was being tempted by Satan. And as she was being tempted by Satan in the context of our passage, what was Adam doing? Was he offering any leadership? And the answer is no. He was passively standing by. He remained passive. And the results were just disastrous. And last week I made mention of many men I've had opportunities to talk with over the years. And in some cases I've counseled them And they have complained that they have no respect from their wives or their family. They have no say in the household. Uh, This shouldn't be a surprise to to the person who studies Genesis 3, should it? That we're going to encounter that. It should be no surprise. But I also let you know that as I've challenged these men, many times they've complained. And it's funny. They've almost said exactly the same words. Oh, I've learned to keep quiet. I mean, almost exactly the same sentence I've heard from from different people, from different places. Or, I've just learned to go along. Well, you know what? I don't know what Adam was thinking, but I do know that's what he did. He just went along. You know? Maybe he told the monkeys or something in the jungle, yeah, you know, I just, I just learned to keep my mouth quiet on this one, you know. I just learned to keep shut. I just keep my mouth shut, you know. When she gets like this... I just gave my mouth shut. Was that a good thing? Was that a bad thing? That was a bad thing. This morning, I want to go a step further than that. Um, I want to take this another step. And let me begin by asking a question. Now, this is a rhetorical question. I don't want this question to make anyone in this room feel bad or feel like, I don't know nothing about the Bible. I don't expect you to know this answer to this question. I didn't know it before I looked it up. And quite frankly, I always kind of hate it when Bible teachers and preachers and stuff ask these questions like this and they look at everybody like you should know the answer when truth be told they didn't know the answer until they looked it up and this is one of those questions i didn't know the answer until i looked it up um now you're wondering what's the question well here's the question how many times is eve mentioned in the bible i don't expect anyone to know it's a rhetorical question but you know let me state it even clearer how many times is eve referred to by the name eve in the bible How many times is Eve referred to by the name Eve in the Bible? Anyone want to hazard a guess? Say 10 times? I mean, the Bible's a big book, big, thick book. Lots of words. Surely 
10 of them say Eve, right? Or maybe 20, uh, maybe more than 20. How many times is Eve mentioned in Genesis 3? I mean, in Genesis 3, it's got to be got to be a few. I mean, we mention Adam and Eve all the time. How many times is Eve called Eve in the Bible? We may be tempted to say, and some of us may be looking on our phones right now for the answer. We may, I'm going to Google it. I'm going to Google it and I'm going to know before he tells us. Well, the answer is only four times in the ESV. In the ESV translation, only four times. Uh, Surprisingly, only once in Genesis 3. And only once in Genesis 4. And once in 2 Corinthians eleven three, And once in 1 Timothy 2.13. Another quick question. I don't expect anyone to know the answer to this either. It's just rhetorical. Just to get us thinking. In these four instances, how many times is the Lord referring to Eve with the name Eve? And the answer is none. The answer is none. God has chosen not to do it in Scripture, and there's an important there's an important point here. The Scriptures refer to Eve as helper, female, woman, wife, but what does the Lord call her? Look to Genesis five with me. You know, Genesis five is that chapter you're tempted to skip, you know, because it's one of the genealogies, you know. And there's all these names that you know. If they said, okay, and Bobby Sue begat, you know, or or Joe begat such and such and they live so many years and then they'd be if we could pronounce the names maybe we could get into the chapter a little better but the names goodness 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 um but look at genesis 5 verses 1 to 2 it reads this is the book of the generations of adam when god created man he made him in the likeness of god simple enough right male and female he created them So you see, anteceding them is the idea of male and female, both men and women. Okay, them is men and women. And he blessed them. Who did he bless? Men and women, whom he created. And he named them what? He named them man. In the Hebrew, it says, and he named them Adam. He named them Adam. Okay. In verse 2, the Lord calls Eve Adam. You can get smacked for doing that. Don't, Don't suggest that you run around calling women men. You get smacked for that. That's just a joke. But I'm not joking when I say that the Lord... Is referring to Eve as Adam. Now, what's my point? Why am I bringing this up? Well, my point is Eve gets her name from her husband. She's getting her name from her husband. If someone were to make the claim that changing a woman's last name to that of her husband is a throwback to a time when the sin of male domination reigned superior, we, we would have to say, whoa, now, wait a second, slow down. And if someone were to make that claim, for the start, let's not deny that there is a sin, that that sin of male domination is real and it's ugly. And and a lot of women have suffered greatly under that sin. Let's not deny that for a second. But we could lovingly say, whoa, wait a minute. 
you know, um, I've said in a series of talks that the Bible calls us uh, to love our wives, fellas, to love our wives as Christ loved the church. It's a sacrificial love. It's, it's a sacrificial love. It's not domination. We are called to lead our wives, not dominate them. But back to my point, Eve's name is derived from her husband. Now, this is supposed to be something that's beautiful. It's supposed to be something that's intimate. What could be more intimate than that? Think of the intimacy of the wife and her identity in part, not completely, but in part, coming and stemming from her husband. It's, it's, not, just, it's, not, supposed to be, it's not supposed to be dominating. It's, God is not saying, now, Steve, Eve, I'm going to put you in your place. That's that kind of language and that kind of tone and that kind of heart, that kind of inclination is not in heaven. This is an intimacy. This is, an, this is intimate is what this is. And it's, it's fostering respect. And we see that it's a biblical principle for the woman's name to change when she's married. We can derive that from the scripture. We can derive that from chapter 3, verse 20 here, can't we? Um, her last name comes from her husband and in our culture. In this sense, the wife gets a portion of her identity from her husband. Now, in today's political and social climate, what I'm saying here is absolutely dreadful, isn't it? And some of you might be suffering from that because that's the air we're breathing. Man, I don't don't like this one. Eh, We're not giving this one any likes on the Facebook page. No, 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 no. In fact, on the contrary, we might look for that thing that got the thumb down, you know. That's okay. If that's how you feel, that's fine. But still, we've got to look at the data, don't we? We've got to look at it. It doesn't change the passage. How we feel about it doesn't make it right or make it wrong. A lot of people think because they feel bad, because because it feels wrong, it's wrong. No, it isn't. It's, It's right because it's God's word. How we feel about it is irrelevant to its truth, completely. Today's political and social climate we're talking about is absolutely dreadful, but it's biblical, and it shouldn't surprise us that the world is, is challenging it, that the world is assaulting it, because it does that with all of biblical truth, doesn't it? It takes its time. Sometimes in some generations it focuses on this issue. Sometimes in generations past it focused on that issue, but it's always assaulting it somewhere along the line. So we shouldn't be surprised. You know, James Boyce commented on this way back in 1982, and he applied this then to the push, and some of us will remember this push, to get away from male gender in our writing and speech. There was this big push way back when, and the big push was don't use man and mankind when you're speaking of the human race. And if you watch documentaries that were from the, say, maybe, what, 75, 76 and earlier, or even 1980 and earlier, you'll hear them. You can hear Leonard Nimoy, you know, uh, narrating, uh, you know, in search of, you know, and be talking about man, you know, and uh, mankind. And, and that, that whole language of referring to men and women with the, with the language of man or men was, uh, was, was fiercely re- rebuked and there was this change so to, to change the wording and to say, okay, we're going to, uh, now we're going to use men and women when we refer to uh, the human race. Now that may seem harmless enough, but it's not the way that God refers to the human race. James Boyce writes, quote, let us not forget that man is God's word for the race and that those in a previous age who used the words man and mankind were actually closer to the language of scripture than we are. 
They were closer to the language of Scripture than we are. Now, Dr. Boyce, I believe he died in 2000, maybe 2001. Um, here we are, 18 years removed from there. And um, what has been the result? You know, I, it seems harmless at the beginning, but the subconscious message of this, I think, has resulted in a cancer that's turned out to be an absolute wrecking ball to the authority of the husband and father. And as we have slammed that wrecking ball into what God has joined here, we have been the losers. We've been the losers because we've lost the intimacy and the beauty of how God has created things. We have lost that. We've lost that. You know, these men that I mentioned earlier, you know, they say, you know, I don't get any respect for my wife. I don't get any respect for my, my children. You know what? A lot of times, they're telling the truth. They don't. They, they really don't. We've been the losers. Uh, you know, a lot of times these men don't get it. I mean, authority and respect have fallen on tough times these days. And this especially, especially has hit the husband and the father. There's almost a wholesale rejection of authority of all stripes today. And I mean this. I, I don't remember encountering so much disrespect. I mean, we listen to the way children talk to their parents. We listen to the way employees talk to their superiors. Just even think about the word superior. Listen to the way kids talk to their teachers. The respect, disrespect today is completely off the charts. The word superior is despised. And this is so dangerous. It's so dangerous because if children won't respect their parents, they won't respect anything. Nothing. There's very little respect for elders, parents, law enforcement, teachers, public office. You just go down the list. And as I speak this way, someone might say, well, wait a second. Public office, you're talking about politicians, I won't respect them. I, I get that. You're talking about law enforcement, some of the law enforcement, I can't. I get that. I get that. I get that there are scoundrels running around in every facet of our society. I get that. I get it. Believe me, I get it. But the, the corrective is to show respect. The corrective is to show respect, and it's got to begin with us. Listen to the fifth commandment. The fifth commandment calls us to honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land. And here, it, 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 begins, it begins in the church. It begins in the home. Now, unfortunately, some have had such an awful time in the home. And when somebody suggests that you need to honor your father and honor your mother and you think about what has taken place in the home. It's almost unimaginable. But nevertheless, the scripture calls us to do it. The Apostle Paul points out to us that this is the first commandment with a promise. What promise is that? Well, we're called to honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land. What's the promise? Well, the promise is that our days may be long in the land. And herein lies an important spiritual principle that a disrespectful society will not exist long in its land. This is where we are, man. This is where we are. I mean, it's where we are. Some of you know that the Westminster Divines applied the fifth commandment beyond the home. For example, the Westminster Larger Catechism Question 124 asks this, quote, who are meant by father and mother in the fifth commandment? 
Who are meant by father and mother in the fifth commandment? It answers, quote, by father and mother in the fifth commandment are meant not only natural parents, but all superiors in age. In other words, those who are older than you. Uh, superiors in, in age and gifts, especially such as by God's ordinance, are over us in place of authority, whether in family, church, or commonwealth, end of quote. Because the idea is no one is in a position of authority that hasn't been put there by God, whether they're an absolute scoundrel or not. They've been put there by God. So, you know, we could ask our question, we could ask this question, were there scoundrels in authority in the 1640s when the Westminster Divines drafted the larger catechism? Answer is absolutely yes, positively yes, for sure. So we must reject the objection. What about the scoundrels? Now, I'm going on about this because I want to pull the rug out from and under one of the reasons there's so much hatred to male authority. That's because there's hatred of all authority. There's hatred of all authority. If we're going to be biblical, and I believe this is our desire, we're going, we're going, we're going to have to begin to respect authority. And I'll add to this, we've got to begin to respect the distinction between male and female. I mean, we've got to respect that. Um, Here's the main reason why. If we don't respect our parents, our elders, our superiors, we'll not respect the Lord. And that is a fast track. It's it's a highway to hell is what it is. Because we'll raise children, you know. Some of our young parents, you know, listen, if your children don't respect you, uh, they're not going to respect anything else. Um, And... How do we teach that? Well, we've got to respect authority. I mean, we can tell our children to respect authority, but if they see us disrespecting authority, that's what they're going to do. We know that, right? Um, that's what they're going to do. And again, I, I know this is a really hard word. Someone might be saying, well, man, you don't have any, you, don't have, you just don't have any, you don't understand what my parents did to me. You don't understand what my, my mom did to me or what my father did to me. Well, you know what? Um, that's a different issue. I mean, that's a different issue. And I want to say this for the tape for anyone who might be listening on the internet. That's a different issue. And we can talk about that at another time. But let me say this, is that respect has to begin in the home. It has to begin in the church. It has to begin with us. The corrective here is, is, is respect, is it not? Okay, that's the point that I wanted to make. How would we ever do that? I mean, how can we ever change? Well, this point needs to be put in, it needs to be put in the context of the gospel, doesn't it? You remember I promised you, the title of this message isn't really, I could have titled it, you know, uh, towards respecting our elders or towards respecting, I don't want to call it that because it's not my main point. Uh, my main point here is that the gospel is in Genesis 3 and verse 20. The gospel is in Genesis 3 and verse 20. If we've been hurt in the past and we've been hurt very deeply, you want to know where the healing is? It's in the gospel. It's in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where the healing is. Okay, is there grace for us here? You bet. And this is the main point I want to make. This is the point I want us to leave here with this morning. Okay, disrespect abounds for sure. How do we fix it? How do we change it? Let's continue in verse 20. Look at verse 20 with me. The man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. Now, what does Adam mean here? 
Well, I think I can hear someone say, well, I think I got this one. I think I understand. He means that all human life will come from Eve, will come from her. Well, that's right, isn't it? I mean, all human life does. I mean, all of us, we trace our ancestry all the way back. Each one of us can call uh, Eve as our mom, can't we? Each one of us. But let's think about this. Let's think about what we're saying. You remember early on, I said, you know, verse 20 kind of seems like it doesn't fit. And if it seems like it doesn't fit, then we need to kind of examine it. Well, I think until we make this connection between verse 20 and verse 15, we might stumble over verse 20 and ask, how does this fit? But verse 20 is recalling verse 15. And I think as soon as we say that, now all of a sudden, verse 20 becomes this powerful, Proclamation and profession of faith. Look at verse 20. Or let, in fact, let's, let's look back at verse 15 first. God is speaking to Satan. He's pronouncing both a judgment and a promise to Satan. And the Lord says to Satan in, in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. Okay, we've, we've spent some time on this verse, haven't we? The very first message in this series was on verse 15. We spent time with it. The Lord promises to the woman offspring. The Lord promises to the woman children, right? And one of her offspring, we're told in verse 15, will bruise the head of the serpent. In other words, there will be one who will be born of the woman who will defeat the devil and in him will be life. A savior will be born. That's the promise. A savior is coming. It points to Jesus. And Jesus Jesus famously says to his disciples, I'm the way, the truth, and what? The life. The life. Jesus is the one promised in Genesis 3.15. He defeats the devil at Calvary. And we could think of John's uh, prologue to his gospel uh, right now. There's many passages we could think of, but think of John's gospel. You know, John begins, within the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and then through him all things were made. Without him not one thing was made that has been made, and in him was what? Life. Life. Could Adam have produced all that? Not likely, but I believe he knew enough at the time that Adam pronounces all of this. Was Eve a mom yet? Had Eve bore any children yet? No. So why would Adam call Eve the mother of all living when she hasn't even become a mom yet? Well, it's because he heard the promise. He heard the promise. And he believed the promise. He believed that a Savior was coming who would be born of the woman. So in conclusion, we see that that's a powerful profession of faith on Adam's part, isn't it? She'll be the mother of all living. And in Christ Jesus, there is life, isn't there? And in Christ Jesus, there's healing for all of, all of our pain, isn't there? And ultimately, you know, one of my choices of, of reading from Revelation this morning was the passage where Jesus says he's, he's going to wipe away every tear. Some of us are so broken right now, we feel like we could just go in a room and cry. So the promise that one, is, one has come and 
by a simple faith and trust in him, he is going to heal us to such a degree that he is actually going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. What could be a better promise than that? So in conclusion, I mean no unkindness when I say we've become a society that's practically devoid of respect. I mean, I don't mean any unkindness here. Uh, But how could we argue otherwise? I mean, how could we argue otherwise? But here's the good news. Jesus has defeated the author and sustainer of this disrespect. He has defeated the devil. He defeated him at Calvary. And when we act disrespectfully, we kick against the boundaries and principles that God has ordained. That's what we are doing. Is there mercy here? Yes, there's mercy. There's mercy for all who repent. There's mercy for all who put their faith and trust in Jesus. Absolutely. What is the answer to all of this? The answer to all of this is to lovingly teach what biblical womanhood is and to show the beauty of biblical womanhood. The answer is to teach and preach what biblical manhood is and show the beauty of biblical manhood. And the answer is to couch all of it in the context of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we have just... We have just sat and listened to a really difficult message in so many ways. Father, some have been hurt very deeply by people who are in positions of authority, whether they be government, whether they be church officers or priests or pastors, whether they be family members or whether they even be, they even be in the home, whether they even be at the hands of, of mom and dad. Father, such a hard message to hear. But Father, we see that you've given us your word to give us healing. And we see that healing takes place as we come to Christ. Healing takes place as we lay our hearts bare before, before you. And as we, as we put our faith and trust, as, as Adam did, proclaiming Eve to be the mother of all living, he heard the promise, he believed the promise. Father, we've heard the promise. The promise is no matter how we feel right now, that you will wipe away every tear of those who trust you and put their faith and their trust in you. And Father, we see how powerfully the gospel speaks to our pain and we see how powerfully the gospel speaks to family dysfunction, whatever it might be, whether it be a a man dominating his wife or a wife dominating her husband. Whether, whatever it may be, we see that the gospel speaks very loudly to all of these hurts, to all of this sin. And that if we repent of these things, Father, that we can be forgiven and changed. And Father, you can restore the beauty of the home. You can restore the beauty of, of manhood and womanhood. The beauty of the, the relation between a a husband and a wife. You can restore the beauty of the family network. You can restore the dysfunction into functionality that is loving and beautiful. And Father, we know that the answer is lies in, the, in faith in Christ Jesus. And we thank you for that, Father. And we ask, Father, you be pleased to do that in our families, in our hearts, Father, that you would touch our pain and that you would touch it very profoundly with the love and mercy and that's found in Christ Jesus. 
Amen and amen.